0: numbers we live by numbers we track and count and measure everything and sometimes we think the only numbers that really matter are the big ones but it's the single digits that make the difference the bible says that heaven rejoices with the number one yeah heaven rejoices each time even one person comes to know jesus we pastors dream about big numbers and we should but a daily focus on one meaningful interaction for christ that's the true difference maker one friend, one family member, one co-worker, one person at a time. We wanna see God move in our nation like we have never seen before, but it all starts with one. I've got my one, and now I'm challenging you and your church to join us and to find yours. Because ultimately, the only number that really matters is one. Who's your one? doing? We've switched it up just a little bit. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, last week, we started our Who's Your One series, and I, 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 I prefaced it with this. We did the Who's Your One series two years ago. Um, as a matter of fact, the second to last, or well, I guess it would have been two weeks before COVID happened, we wrapped up our Who's Your One. We talked about this goal of having 100 in attendance, wanting to pray and ask the Lord to give us 10 baptisms, which would be 10 new believers through our church, and then COVID happened right, shut down, shut down our, our, our church meetings or our church gatherings. Um, and so really what we wanted to do was to take this opportunity uh, as we're going back into it. Number one, about 50 percent of our church is new since September, and I am encouraged and excited by that. Also with that though, comes the opportunity to see more and more people come to faith in Christ. So today we're going to be looking at whatever it takes, kind of coming from this mentality. I think it's easy to get caught up in the idea of missions without realizing our personal role or how we play out in the mission of God. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I'll just kind of lay this out there. Churches that change communities change communities as a result not of programs but of people. In other words, people who are built upon the strength or, or, or the foundation of God's word, people who are saved by faith in Christ and who say it is my goal and my role to be on mission wherever I'm at, right? So I'm not knocking programs. Please hear me out on that. We'll have programs. We have programs. We're going to do things here in the church. But a church that grows is a church that's on mission, meaning that the people of God are on mission. So if you would, stand with me as we read Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And then we're going to jump into a time of prayer. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. And it says this, One day... As he was teaching, this was Jesus, one day as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come, I love this part, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus And when they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Listen to this verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, everybody say their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the teachers and the Pharisees of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, and who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But did you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have never seen or we have seen remarkable things today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news that we see in this story. This good news we see in this teaching right here of this, of this real life individual whose friends did whatever it took to get him to Jesus. And Lord, I think about what's going on in our world. I think about the chaos that we all deal with, the the worries and the wonders that we begin to have, the questions and the realities of what we face on a daily basis. God, realizing that we don't have control in reality over anything, but that we sit at your feet, resting and relaxing and waiting for what you want to do. But God, I pray that we would be people, just as these individuals were who carried this paralytic man to Jesus, God, that we would do whatever it takes to get our friends, our coworkers, the neighbors that live next door to us and people we know around the area, that we would do whatever it takes to get them to the feet of Jesus, to help them see him, to see you for who you are. And so, Lord, I pray just as we wrap this up, or as we jump into this this idea, as we kick off this who's your one, God, that you would convict our hearts, that you would reveal to us who it is that you want to work in, or or you want us to work on and work through and to take uh, to you. And so, Lord, we pray that through this, that there would be great awe and wonder of those who look and see your work as you work through us and in us to bring people to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, as we jump into this, there's an Arab proverb that says this, the greatest sin one can commit in the desert is to find water and tell nobody. Right? Like, if you were walking along and you were in desperate need of water, and you knew somebody who knew where water was, wouldn't you hope that they told you where that water is? Like, wouldn't you hope they would say, not only will I tell you where it's at, I'm going to take you to where you need to get water. And what we have to think about when we think about this is this, that Jesus is the living water, right? And that we are full of living water if we have a relationship with Christ. And likewise, in that, there are people who are walking around parched, who are dry, who are thirsty, who are beat down and discouraged by what may be going on in life. They're looking for answers. They're looking for a a, a fulfillment of that thirst and when we walk around and we say, oh, you know, I know where the water is, but I'm, just, I'm not sure I'm going to tell you how to do it. I want us to think about how that plays out in, in, in this idea. See, last week we saw Jesus' pursuit of us, right? Like Jesus' pursuit after Peter and James and John and Andrew, and he went after him. He pursued them. He pursued a relationship with them, and he said to come and follow me. Remember, we talk about this idea of in order to lead people to Christ, I must first be a follower. Before I can lead others, I have to follow Jesus first. And so when I play that out, when I'm following Jesus, I submit myself under the rulership of him. He is my king, he is my Lord, but I also submit myself under the authority of his word. And so as I dig in and I look at what he's telling me to do, then I submit myself to that, that I place myself under the authority of God's word. And when I place myself under the authority of God's word, and I'm obedient to what he's called me to do, then listen, Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And I, I said last week, we talked about this. The whole point is that Jesus is the one who makes us fishers of men. Right? Like as Jesus works in our lives, as we're following him, he's working in our lives. He is the one who makes us fishers of men. He is the one who grows us. He is the one who matures us. He's the one who breaks our heart for the people who are lost, who don't know him. He's the one who puts people on our minds and our hearts to go, that's who I need to go for. And so when we talk about this idea of who's your one, I hope you have in mind somebody you would say that the Lord has placed upon your heart to pray for, to serve, and to potentially lead them to the feet of Jesus. Now today we jump in and we look at this and we want to see the reality of what it means to take people to the feet of Jesus. He, all of this text, if we look at Luke chapter 5, this text is seen or this story is seen in all three gospels. It's seen in Matthew chapter 9. Not to the full extent, so in Matthew chapter 9 when we see that, he doesn't talk all of it, he's very succinct in some ways. We see it in Mark, in Mark chapter 2, and now we see it in Luke chapter 5. All three of those gospels, the synoptic synoptic gospels, give us a picture or a glimpse into Jesus' passion or into the the reality of what it means to have a whatever-it-takes attitude. So this week, we see this powerful example of what it means to bring somebody to this and as you look, I want, I want to draw your attention to a few things that are going on in this passage. I, I brought it up earlier, and I said this. It says, one day as he was teaching Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Now, it's important for us to understand what's going on here, right? Jesus has been doing some things in his ministry, and, and, and it's, the word is getting out. But as the word gets out, there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of religious animosity against Jesus because he's doing things that none of the religious leaders and the teachers and the, ph- uh, the, the, the Pharisees are able to do. And so here's what happens. Jesus is in this town. He's in Capernaum. And as he's in Capernaum, he is beginning to teach what's going on. And it says all of these, all. Listen again one more time. It says... As he was teaching, these Pharisees and teachers of the law had come from every village of Galilee. Now, if you were to look at Galilee, it's the northern part, it's up by the Sea of Galilee and it extends over to the Mediterranean Sea, but it's a large area. And if you were to look and say, all the Pharisees and the teachers of the law just from the area of Galilee show up, it says every one of them is there. Now, do you think they have an ulterior motive? Yes, they do. But it's not just that they came from Galilee. It says that they also came from Judea, which would be just south of there, and they came from Jerusalem. So there were some who made a trek a long ways to to sit under the teachings of Jesus, but at the same time, they have a reason behind why they're doing it. And as we look at this, we begin to see what ends up being a, a great story about Jesus and the desire for others to get people to Jesus. So we see, first of all, that those Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, came from there and they're sitting there And no doubt, one of the things we have to begin to understand is this. When we talk about this crowded house, no doubt most of those individuals within that house were probably those leaders, and here's the reason why. Because people would look and go, well, they're in leadership position, they've got authority, they're they're in higher. That's why when Jesus says, if you wanna be a servant or if you wanna be a leader, you gotta serve first because the Pharisees and teachers of law always put themselves above other people. And what's funny about this is in, in scripture, a deacon and even a pastor, a shepherd is to place themselves in a servant role, a servant leader to serve the people and point them to Jesus. So now they're, they're, they're packing out the house, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And it says, and the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, it's important for us to keep that statement in mind as we think about this, because as we keep that statement in mind, we have to also remember Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Now, at this point right here, Jesus has authority, right? But there are things that he's not gonna do until after his death. But what we're seeing is that Jesus has the authority here to heal the sick, to forgive the sins, to to heal those who are physically disabled and things like that. And so it says the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Now, here's the thing. The account we're going to look at this morning, I believe, highlights the faith and the resolve that we need to have if we're going to bring our friends to Christ, There needs to be a faith and a resolve in our lives that says we're willing to do whatever it takes. And I'll always say this, I have to clarify this because for some reason, people always jump off the deep end with this. Whatever it takes as long as we're obedient to scripture. Does that make sense? So whatever it takes as long as we're obedient to scripture to see our people come to Jesus. So, Here's the big statement. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this. We must do whatever it takes to help our friends find Jesus, who is the one who forgives sins. Jesus is the one who does that forgiveness. Jesus is the one who heals people's lives. Jesus is the one who makes the, the lame walk again, who brings those who are, are dead, the, the dry bones, who brings them to life. That is all through Christ. Jesus is the one who makes us fishers of men. Jesus is the one who corrects my life. Jesus is the one who is going to point me in the right direction when I'm struggling with emotions. And anxiety and worry and depression and things like that, all of these things are the things that Jesus has power over, but most of the time we don't want to give Jesus the authority or the reign or the rule to do what he needs to do to straighten us out, right? Like when you have conflict within a church, there's a reason conflict rises, and it's not because Jesus is on the throne in your heart. The reason conflict oftentimes arises in the lives of individuals is because deep down inside, as Paul says, I know the right I should do, but I don't want to do it, or I don't do it. And so what we have to begin to do is understand that when Jesus is in the authority position or when Jesus is on the throne, then I place myself under his leadership, under his authority, under the truth of his word, and I allow, listen, I allow scripture to direct me in everything that goes on. Same with reaching my friends for Christ. Now, let me clarify a couple of things as we go on. When we talk about this, we must do whatever it takes to help our friends find Jesus who forgives sins. I want us to see some things that we're gonna look at here in verses 20 and following. Number one, we have to care enough to bring people to Jesus. We have to have enough care, compassion, and love to bring people to Jesus, now, we're not told anything about this, right? We're, we, don't, we don't know or understand what's going on uh, as, as we look at this. But what we do see, in other words, we don't know if this guy was related to the men who brought him. Was he a cousin? Was he a brother? Was he a father? We don't know any of that. But what we do know is this, that there were men who said, I care enough that this man who has been paralyzed, we don't know how long he's been paralyzed, but he's been a paralytic. He hasn't walked, he's on a mat, he's probably a beggar, he doesn't have any money, probably doesn't have any family, possibly, because a lot of times those types of individuals were outcasts and things like that. So there's this paralytic here that these men end up coming around and saying, I care enough to get this person to Jesus, and we have to care enough to bring people to Jesus. And my question would be is that, do you care enough to see people come to Christ? Because the care and compassion of Jesus is the very thing that should push us to get people to that. See, Jesus visited this house at a time when news about Jesus' teachings and miracles had reached every person in the kingdom. It's obvious because these people were coming. A large number of teachers and Pharisees had come from around Galilee, but now, listen, It's not just about them, there are others who are attracted to Jesus as well. And so as Jesus is teaching, there in this house, it says that some men had come. And as these men come, they're carrying this paralytic on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, let me be somewhat well, let me be direct. There are a lot of times that we look at the problems in people's lives and we go, you know, well, if you would just quit doing this, it would be better. And if you started doing this, it would be even better. When the truth of the matter is, yes, that may be somewhat true, but the reality is the person needs a relationship with Jesus before any of that's going to be taken care of. Right? Like we can look at people and go, man, your marriage is a wreck. Why is it a wreck? Because you're doing all these things that are outside the the guidelines of what God wants to do, but you can't expect them to do what God wants them to do if they're not a believer, right? So people want to fix a a, a problem by, by giving them good advice, right? By giving them positive things. It's the Dr. Phil mentality or the Oprah Winfrey mentality in Christianity. If you just do these things, everything will be fine when the reality is that people are not gonna change their lives or their behaviors when they don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And I believe that one of the things within the church is that we're good with quick fixes. The quick fix is, man, if you just do this, your life would change. When the reality should be, man, if you just would sit at the feet of Jesus and acknowledge him as your savior, now your life begins to change. Because I begin to align my life under the authority and truth of God's word, and now I should begin to look at people, right? Like, I look at my relationship with my wife through the lens of scripture. I look at my relationship with kids or with my kids through the lens of scripture. I look at my relationship with my coworkers and my neighbors and and the people I don't even like to a certain extent through the lens of scripture, that I begin to have a care and compassion enough to bring people to Jesus. Jesus. Like, I have, I have, and I'm not, this has not been here, but I have heard people literally say, I don't know that I'd want that dude to go to heaven. And I'm like, whoa, as if you earned it, right? Like, like it, where did that ever become a, 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 a standard of Christian teaching? None of us earned it. It's, it's by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. Why is that? So that you and I can't boast about what we did to earn our salvation. The only boasting we can do is boast in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I, my question when I ask that is, do you care enough about bringing people to Jesus? And if you do, then your attitude has to change. James says this, right? Faith without works is what? Dead. So if I care enough to bring people to Jesus, then my attitude has to change. My outlook on life has to begin to change. I have to begin to look at people and I have to begin to say, man, they don't know Jesus. They're not gonna follow Jesus. They're not gonna live under Jesus' authority. They're not gonna do what Jesus said. But man, you better believe that I care enough for them that I wanna bring them to Jesus. So I have to have the care, the care and the compassion of our savior. We learn love because God first loved us. So we must do whatever it takes to help our friends find Jesus who forgives their sins. But that comes as we care enough to bring people to Jesus. Look at what happens. It says some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and they tried to take him into the house To lay him before Jesus. Anybody ever been in a busy place and you're like, I just got to get the heck out of Dodge, right? Like maybe it's traffic. Maybe you're waiting. I don't know. Maybe you're one of those Black Friday shoppers, (laughs) right? Like I remember the earliest we ever went one time, we went at like 11 o'clock and I was like, I got to get out of here. There's way too many people. I remember somebody looking at me and going, man, you should have been here at five. No, thank you. Got no desire me and crowds. Man, when I was, when I was 18, 19, fresh out of, out of high school and in the Navy, I loved to be where crowds were. It was like, oh, there's a bunch of people there. Let's go over here. And now I'm old and I'm like, forget that, man. I don't want anybody around. <laughs> right? Like the more, the more older I get, my wife will tell you this, the more I'm like, man, we need land, lots of land. <laughs> <laughs> out in the middle of nowhere, right, where I can hunt and fish and not deal with anybody. And she's like, where am I at in that picture? Because I really don't, that does not sound fun, right? So, but I've got to care enough to bring people to Jesus. Number two, I have to go to great lengths to get them to Jesus. So look at what happens. It says that they're, they're so packed into that house that they could not find, verse 19, they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and they lowered him onto his mat, through the tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, if you read the text in Mark, you wouldn't necessarily pick this up here that they dug a hole through the roof. But the text in Mark is they basically dug a hole through the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have somebody over to my house and some dude starts cutting a hole in the middle of my roof, we're going to have words, right? Like I'm going to be like, bro, I might be going to get my shovel and come up there and beat you off my roof, <laughs> right? But, but these guys are so desperate to get this man to Jesus that they begin to go to the extreme, to, to, to say whatever it takes to get him in to Jesus, we're going to do it. And this is no small feat because it doesn't say it was their house, right? Like some of us will go, oh, okay, I, I want to I do whatever I can. I'm going to use my house to further the kingdom. I'm going to use the things that God has given me to further the kingdom. No, these guys showed up at somebody else's house and trashed their roof. You think of all kinds of problems to a certain extent that could arise as a result of that. But yet there was a desperation There was a desire for them to say, whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus, we know he can heal him. And that's the question I want to ask you. Do you have that mentality that, I know Jesus can heal this marriage. I know that Jesus can heal this person's life. I know that, this, that Jesus can overcome their addictions. I know that Jesus is going to heal a broken family. I know that Jesus is going to heal their outlook on life. I know that Jesus is going to heal their outlook on what is going on in the world. We have a bunch of people around the world who are, are, are in desperate need of hope, and they walk around hopeless. And the only hope, please hear me out when I say this, when you look at what's going on in our world right now, and you begin to ask and question, From a non-believer standpoint, you could sit back and go, there's no hope. But let me also say this, from a believer standpoint, a person who follows Jesus, what we know and what we see is this, that there is great hope because what we're seeing all throughout our time is that scripture is fulfilling itself. In other words, the Bible says that things are going to get worse. And as they get worse, that we all we got to do is rest on the fact that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be right there with you. I'm going to walk you through the storm. As you go through the valley, I'm going to be right there with you. As you come up and you can see the mountaintop, I'm still there with you. I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. But we have a lot of people, a lot of people in our own city, in your own neighborhood that have no hope because their hope is in everything that maybe is going on in the government or their hope is in everything that's going on in the stock market or their hope is on everything that inflation isn't gonna happen or their hope is the fact that maybe I can buy a house or their hope is in friends or their hope is in for some addictive things like drugs and alcohol. But they go to great lengths to get this man to Jesus. And it says, As they did it, they cut the hole in the roof and they went up to the roof. They lowered him on the mat, threw the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, I oftentimes think about this, right? When I was growing up in church, like when anything bad happened in church, like if stuff was destroyed, let's just say it didn't go so well. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you're reaching lost people. I remember being even as a youth pastor, you're starting to reach lost people and people are like, I don't like this. They just did this. <laughs> like, I'll never forget, we did a lock-in one, one night and we had these benches back in our, in our storage area, I say storage area, shower area in our church. And we used these benches. They, they could go in and take showers. They could set their stuff on the bench. But inside, they were these indoor-outdoor benches. Um, <clears throat> inside, you could store stuff. We never stored anything. But anyways... We had a big church lock-in, and I don't know where it came from, don't know how it happened, but all of those benches got glued shut. Now, you think I didn't hear about that? (laughs) I was a youth pastor. It happened on my watch, right? And I was like, man, I'm sorry. We'll take care of that. We'll get it all taken care of. You know, how am I going to figure this out? But I want us to understand this. Reaching lost people costs, costs something. It costs comfort it may cost us somewhat in facilities. Now, we want to be very wise stewards, please hear me out, in how we take care of what God has given us. But I also believe that when we use and steward the gifts that God has provided us, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, that we have an opportunity to see people come to Christ as a result of what we do and how we respond, right? So can you imagine what's going on in this meeting? Pharisees, Teachers of the law sitting there in a comfy, cozy room, and all of a sudden dust starts to fall from the ceiling. Ceiling. Think about just put that in your mind of what you'd be thinking. First of all, maybe from a homeowner standpoint. Second of all, from a Pharisee or teacher of the law standpoint. Thirdly, from Jesus' standpoint. I guess a homeowner going to be furious. As a Pharisee of law, I'd be like, what the heck are these people doing? Who do they think this guy is? Dig a hole in the roof so somebody else can get access. That's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. But yet, listen to what Jesus says. And this is what I love. When Jesus saw their faith, he said what? Friend, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith did Jesus see? Their faith. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this. Everybody has to be individually accountable for themselves. In other words, I can't say, hey, he's saved because of my faith. That just doesn't play out that way. But what I can do is by this, by the faith that I have in God, I can look at a person and I can say, man, let me, t- let me introduce you to Jesus. Because when I introduce you to Jesus, he's the one that changes you. It's my faith in Jesus that shows another person the good news of the gospel. It's my faith in Jesus, and when my actions are played out, it's when my faith in Jesus plays out in the lives of other individuals, that I don't have to do what they do. I don't have to think like they think. I don't have to act like they act, even though I'm friends with them. But it's when my faith in Jesus is seen, and I get them to the feet of Jesus, that Jesus says, Here's the deal. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus death on the cross was for all of mankind, for all of humanity. But the Bible's very clear. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe that God raised you from that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it is a it is a personal thing still. Now this man, this paralytic, it doesn't say that he said my faith But listen to what happens. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now this creates quite an uproar, right? This would be the uproar within the church. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And all of a sudden the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are like, no, no, not gonna happen. We're not gonna accept that because they begin to question And they begin to ask this idea, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy and who can forgive sins but God alone? See, here's the question I want to ask when we think about this. Do you look at every obstacle as an opportunity? Because what I worry about oftentimes in our lives is this, that when we run into obstacles, we look at that as a closed door. When obstacles don't mean the door's closed. It's just an obstacle. It's just something that you have to overcome in order to get the opportunity to preach the gospel, in order to get the opportunity to get your friend or your coworker, your neighbor to Jesus. See, oftentimes in the church, I believe we look at obstacles as closed doors. Oh, it's gonna cost too much money. Oh, this thing got in the way. Oh, my busy schedule. Oh, my friend doesn't really want to talk. Oh, my... All of those are obstacles. And the reality is that obstacles don't mean the door's closed. You're just going to have to look for opportunities in different ways. And so the men do that. They find an opportunity to get this paralytic man to Jesus and they say, whatever it takes, we're ready. And then number three, I want you to see this. When we talk about we must do whatever it takes to help our friends find Jesus who forgives sins, listen to what happens. Number three, what we see is this, that Jesus has the authority not only to forgive sins, but also to heal physically. See, here's oftentimes what I think about when I think about our lives. Do we settle for the mundane when Jesus wants to do the miraculous? Do we settle for the same old, same old? Or do we run up against obstacles and then say, no, see, there's the obstacle, instead of seeing that every obstacle just leads us to another opportunity? Jesus doesn't operate in the mundane. He operates in the miraculous. And what we see in the story is not a mundane story. It's a miraculous story. And so it's important for us to play this out with Jesus having authority to forgive sins. And listen to verse 22. It says this. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? I want you to think about that. If you were to ask that question, which is easier to say and which is easier to even see? Like if you were to ask yourself, which is easier to see? Obviously, what is easier to see is the physical need being met, right? That this guy needs to walk. So the easier aspect would be that the physical need is met. So if I wanted to see it, If it's all based upon seeing things, then it would be the physical aspect of the healing of the paralytic. But the reality is, it's not necessarily always what's seen, but it's it's what's unseen. And what Jesus says is, what's unseen or what's needed most is that what is unseen is fixed. What is unseen, which is your sins oftentimes, is the very thing that needs to be healed first. So when he talks about this idea, when he lays this out, he literally is trying to get this picture that we all have to deal with the unseen things, the things that you and I can even hide within church, that you and I can hide within our own relationships, with our own family members. We have to take care of the sin issue first, and that's what Jesus does on the cross. Jesus' death on the cross was to forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's important for us to play that out and understand that Jesus' first role is to always fix what is sometimes hidden and unseen before he fixes the physical. See, some of us are very good at hiding sin. We could put on a great act. We can let others think that things are a certain way when in reality we have sin in our lives and, and we don't want to deal with it and we want to run from it or we want to run from God and we, we run into sin. But listen, Jesus doesn't want us to settle for the mundane. He wants us to work in the miracles that he provides. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, this is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So we understand that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of any or of our sins and to cleanse us from any unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. What is the primary reason Jesus died on the cross? To forgive our sins. Every obstacle in our life is an opportunity for God to show his goodness and his grace, first by the forgiveness of sins, then by cleansing us of any and all unrighteousness. We look at things in our lives and we look at the obstacles we face and we say there's no chance, there's no opportunity. And Jesus goes, what are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Because what man would look at and say, that's impossible, God says, no, it's impossible. It is possible. See, the faith of these men is what led them to go to great lengths to get this paralytic to Jesus. And I want you to think about it as I wrap up with this. Jesus says in verse 24, but that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. So the physical is a result of showing the authority to forgive sins. And a lot of people go, see, so it must have been sin that led him to be paralyzed. No. Sin is what has led to the fall of the world, which means all of the things we look at. It's led to murder, Cain and Abel. It's led to to sexual problems and sexual abuse. It has led to just straight up sin of lying. It's led to depression, anxiety, feelings, worry, overstressing about things that we have no control over. It's led us to a lack of trust. All of those things play out. And Jesus comes in and he says, listen, so that you may know that I have the power and authority to forgive sins, I'm also gonna tell this man to get up and walk. Jesus' first goal is always to f- the forgiveness of sins in man. Jesus' second goal at that point is the restoration of man into a right relationship with God. It doesn't necessarily always mean physical healing, but what it does mean is healing in the things that you need healing in, relationships. All the kinds of things that we can look at, that is God's role and goal in this. I wanna close with this. Only God can say, your sins are forgiven. Listen, verse 26, it says, when this man stood up and walked off, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. When I said earlier about what I felt like it was for a church to be on mission, yes, we wanna do programs and things like that, but my goal and my role as a pastor is this, that every one of us lives on mission where we're at. That you are taking the gospel to your neighbors, to your co workers, to your friends. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just gonna throw this out there. I really struggle as a pastor when I hear people say, we just don't do enough outreach. Because I, as I look at scripture in the Bible, please hear me out. The early church didn't sit back and blame it on the disciples and say, we don't do enough outreach. The early church's expectation was, you come in, you're encouraged, you're sitting at the feet of Jesus on a daily basis, and you're going to where you go. And please hear me out when I say this. It's not a knock on anything that we've discussed or anything in the past, because we want to focus on outreach. But let me tell you this, that a church that is passionate about reaching the lost as individuals first and then corporately as a body is a church that magnifies and grows the kingdom. When a church says it's all about just doing programs, then we end up having problems. Because then we say, well, if the church isn't involved, then, and that's what happened with COVID. Let's be realistic. When COVID happened, a lot of people were like, oh man, look what's going on. When the truth of the matter is, COVID should have spread us out and made it more contagious to be a Christian because we lived it on a daily basis. See, Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And that, listen, that which is seen is spectacular, but that which is unseen is supernatural. And that's why Jesus starts with sin first because he wants to work in the supernatural first before he deals with what's spectacular in healing the physical things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the hope that you provide in Jesus death on the cross and we acknowledge we acknowledge our sins god i acknowledge my sins i know that i am a sinner and know that i have confessed that lord but i thank you for the good news of jesus that he died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood so that mine would not be shed, so that I could be forgiven of sins, that that I would not be able to, to cover my own sins, but Jesus covers for me. And God, I thank you for the promise of the resurrection life. Just as we sang about dry bones rattling, God, he speaks dead things into life. He speaks things that are paralyzed by fear or regret or worry or frustration or obstacles, and he brings life to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we thank you for that. So, Lord, I pray that you lay on our hearts at least one individual that we're going to pray for day in and day out, and that we would look at every obstacle as an opportunity to get somebody to your feet, to point them to you, to see the hope that comes in Christ. Father, would you use us as a church, as individuals, as a corporate body, would you use us as the very people who will do whatever it takes to get our friends? And God, I know that that requires friendship as well. There may be somebody here who says, I've got a person, but I need the help of others who are gonna come alongside me and get this person to Jesus. God, may we be passionate enough about our relationship with you that others would look and go, it's because of their faith that they believe Jesus could change their life that this person has come to Christ. Father, may we be faithful in the small things. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.